reality is that as a, a female and if you're not using synthetic hormones or birth control, um, which is a different scenario, you are different every single day of your cycle. So what you needed yesterday and what you need tomorrow is going to be different because where your hormones lie is also different. Dear Balancer, I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together let's find your unique balance. Alrighty, balancers. Today I'm joined by a healthcare practitioner, author, speaker, and all round natural fertility expert, Nat Kringudis. She's also the founder of Women's Health Clinic, The Pagoda Tree, creator of Yo Nuts, and producer of Health Talks TV, and most recently, two times best selling author with her new book, Beautiful You. Nat, a very warm welcome to the Balance Series podcast. It's so nice to have you on the show today. Oh, Erica, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Me too. Now we were just ch- chatting a little bit off air about potential holidays coming up and having a break from work. So tell me a little bit about what you do, what you do with yourself and your time so the listeners get a feel for, I guess, who you are. Of course. Well, like you said, I opened my health clinic in Melbourne um, nearly 17 years ago, um, wow. which makes me feel very old. But um, my background is Chinese medicine and acupuncture. Um, and, you know, as all young practitioners do, you just treat whatever you can get whenever you can get. Uh, and it's definitely nearly 20 years ago wasn't like it is now. We're um, very fortunate that we're living in a time where complementary medicine is part of um part of our lives and part of something that we explore um, when we need support or assistance. Uh, Nearly 20 years ago, that really wasn't the case. People kind of didn't really um, explore their options as much. It was very much we just did as we were told. And so um, what ended up happening was I was influxed with women who needed help with their their health. I certainly wasn't equipped to to treat them straight out of university. Sure, I'd studied gynecology. I'd studied actually a couple of degrees at this point in time, but the the conditions that I was seeing were not what I was taught and I couldn't work out how to help these women and I certainly didn't want to make them worse. So um, long story short, I just started experimenting (laughs) and I eventually figured out that the symptoms that we were seeing were a direct result of um, modern day lifestyle and we kind of just hadn't caught up when it came to looking at what our bodies were doing and how our bodies were responding to that. So, you know, that led uh, to us getting very busy very quickly because women wanted answers and and things just continued to grow from there. And so, you know, um, we've gone on to, uh, as you said, become a two times best-selling author, a winning podcast. Um, and I really just love helping women understand their bodies simply so that they can make quality and good informed choices for their long-term health. They're not left, you know, saying, I wish I knew this earlier because that's probably the one thing I hear women say to me. Um, I'm also yeah. a mom of two beautiful kids and um you know, I just, more than anything, the last two years have been quite difficult because I'm a very social person. I love to be out and about. I love to chat with people. I love to learn about people. And so 
I feel like uh, I've just been unleashed and here we are back out again. So you might not be able to shut me up today. <laughs> no, that's what that's exactly what we have you on for. And then um, I hope you're you're you know re-entering in your all your social bubbles. And as we spoke about, probably traveling the world very very soon, which is very exciting. Um, but I'm very curious because obviously, like you said, probably 17 years ago that that alternative style of medicine and the more natural style remedies probably weren't as mainstream as what they are today. So I'm curious as to what actually, um, what inspired you to actually study and go into that field of work in the first place? Yeah, good question. I mean, I grew up in a household where um, health was a priority and from that same perspective, mum always invested in alternative and complementary medicine before anything else Um, and not to say that she didn't um, believe in that but she also knew that there was often um, side effects or or other challenges that arose when you didn't actually fix the reason why you were unwell but you were using medicine to mask symptoms and so everything has a place of course but I that's how I grew up and so um, I went on to study uh, health I, I started off studying a Bachelor of Health Sciences just in um, biosciences and I hated it um, and got to almost the end of that and thought what am I going to do I don't want to be a food scientist I don't want to be in allied healthcare. you know um, in that respect of public health um, and so I applied to uh, Western I thought I was applying to Western herbal medicine and I was actually applying to Chinese herbal medicine so me being me, I should have just shrugged it off and went, oh, well, that was meant to be. So I, you know, continued to to um, learn. And I have to say it, it wasn't initially I, I, I remember distinctly ringing my mum and saying, oh, man, I don't think I'm in the right place. Like These people are nothing like me. There's a lot of alternative um, people who I was just sort of very what I would consider commercial as a, as a you know, like in the box. Um, I, 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 I sort of dressed a certain way I, I behaved a certain way and it wasn't like anybody else that was sort of I was studying with and so um mum said to me I oh, just stick it out a little bit longer I think that you'll actually this is actually really great and and I did and here we are <laughs> so you know I I didn't choose Chinese medicine it chose me and I didn't choose women's health it chose me and I think when you can get comfortable with living your life that way where that's happened enough times for you to be okay with um, life sort of showing you um, what's next, then it's actually really a nice place to operate from. I sure as heck didn't know what I was doing um, back then and I didn't know what I was doing when I opened my business really either but I'd like to think after some years I've got some idea of what's going on and it's so funny when you can reflect back and go oh I can I you know that's just the way I am so yeah again here we are. No I love that and it sounds like your mum had like such a big influence as well in not only like your upbringing but then your decisions later down the track and really like kind of inspiring you to tap into that intuition or just kind of accepting the universe as it came your way but I think that's such a nice thing to reflect on because often at times and I'm sure in those moments you know when you were sitting in that first class and you were the only one that was kind of like maybe a little bit more mainstream or different to everybody else and then when you started your business like they were points of friction or frustration for you but it's really like when you reflect it it is those moments that set you up for a bit of a a turning point or a, a change in life so I think that's such a nice thing to just talk 
talk about for anybody listening right now who maybe is in that moment of friction or going through a new challenge? I mean, I've just moved overseas, so I can definitely relate to that that point of, I guess, change and friction. But I know it's kind of setting me up for something else. And when you look back at all the moments of friction, all the dots kind of align. So really nice to reflect on Absolutely. your story. But I would Absolutely. love to kind of ask you a little bit about your professional expertise, which I know is so far-reaching and a wealth of knowledge and a topic that all our listeners love tuning into. We have so many guests that come on to talk about female health, and I think it's such an important thing to make as a priority because if I think about, I mean, I don't really know what how the curriculum's been changed if at all at school, but when it came to like female health, it was very, very high level. And I since, you know, having learned what I've learned just through my own studies or personal development, what I now know about my my cycle, my hormones, female health in general is so much broader than what we were taught at school. And I think it's such a shame that we're not armed with that information early on. But on that note, um, you have this beautiful tagline on your website that really resonated with me and our mission, which is balance your hormones, balance your life. So having experienced um, an imbalance in my own hormones, I went through a little bit of a um, adrenal fatigue burnout situation last year where my hormones were out of whack, lost my period, the whole works, um, and felt the full brunt of it all. Um, I wanted to ask you in your practice and I guess your expertise just to share with the listeners, what does having imbalanced hormones actually look and feel like? Oh, my goodness, yes. It's such a, like you said, it's a huge question. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, we are beings that generally want to be within a certain ratio or a certain um you know maintain Box. homeostasis <laughs> in some way and when that that is altered or the scale is tipped the symptoms of that can be extremely wide and varied but i think many women can identify with feeling hormonal they'll say oh, so hormonal or their partners will say oh man you're hormonal but what does that mean and does that, like <laughs> i'm gonna say is that like emotional like what does right? that actually it's like I think you're right. I think it's when we feel emotional before our period arrives. I think we can relate to feeling hormonal at that time. But the reality is that as a, a female, and if you're not using synthetic hormones or birth control, um, which is a different scenario, you are different every single day of your cycle. So what you needed yesterday and what you need tomorrow is going to be different because where your hormones lie is also different. So I think the main thing to understand is you know, how do we know what hormonal symptoms look like? First and foremost, they're cyclic because, again, the ebbs and flows of our hormones dictate how we feel, how we act, how we behave at certain times. And if we're using and looking at our cycle to have a look at what that means, um, it means that sometimes we can feel fantastic and sometimes we can feel horrible. The reality is you shouldn't ever feel horrible and we should always use those symptoms as clues. But if we want to explore what um, some some of the symptoms that we might see as a result of imbalanced hormones are, we can see everything from frequent periods, painful periods, heavy periods, right through to missing periods or, or very long cycles. We can see things like period pain. We can see things like facial hair or acne or hair loss or, um, you know, this, it's so wide and varied that you can almost blame everything on your hormones and that's fine but actually working out which hormones are at play and what actually needs to be addressed isn't as hard as we might think it is. It's just about having the right tools to do that. So 
you know, if you do suspect that your hormones are imbalanced because you have gnarly symptoms at certain times of the month or just in general, it, it's definitely something that you shouldn't ignore. I think the other thing as women we've been told is that it's just part of being a woman. And that breaks my heart because any time that you're seeing symptoms, whether it's a recurrent headache or a period pain, it's your body's way of telling you that something isn't right. There's some level of inflammation. And so rather than just reach for the Panadol, um, or maybe we need, might need something stronger than that, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm, I don't think we should ever suffer. But I think at the same time, we should be asking questions to ourselves. Hang on a minute. This seems to be happening all the time. I wonder what that means. Where can I get the answers so that I can make a good choice rather than mask the symptoms for 15 years and then discover that there's actually more to it than meets the eye. So, you know, I haven't really specifically answered your question about what do hormonal symptoms look like because they are so, so varied. But I think the main thing is that if you suspect that there is something up with your hormones or you have symptoms, you definitely shouldn't ignore them. And they definitely don't have to be part and parcel of being a woman. They're common, but they don't have to be normal um, in the sense that we're not supposed to live with suffering um, yeah. either, you know, all cycle round or at certain parts of the cycle. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that answer because when we talk about balance on the podcast, it is this um, honoring of the fact that no two days are the same, whether that's because of what's going on internally for you or what's just going on in the world around you. And so what you need on a day-to-day -day basis looks very, very different. Um, I think your point about how pain is the, is the kind of the body's way to communicate is something I also really resonate with. So my partner who he used to be a chiropractor when we were back in Sydney, that was the biggest thing he would always kind of describe to me would be about how pain is the body's way to speak. So if you have that little niggle in your neck or something in your back, like your body's telling you something's misaligned, something, you know, something is not working properly. And so I really like that distinction between just because something is common doesn't mean that it's normal. Because I think a lot of us will have experienced, you know, exactly like you said, things throughout our lives and just accepted that as being a part of being a woman. So I think just being inquisitive and asking, you know, well, well why am I experiencing this or do I have to experience this or can I investigate it a little bit further and not accepting it for what it is, is really the first step to feeling more balanced or I guess more connected with your hormones. I think the more you understand, then the more you can kind of change, as you said, as it, as it kind of changes day to day. And then obviously that's layered on top of the fact that our cycles are different parts in the month, you know, make us feel completely different. Um, but I did want to ask you, maybe we can talk about an experience that I can relate to. And, and that's really came down to my energy and my, my overall like mood. So I'm, I consider myself to be quite a bubbly, social, positive person. But when I was going through this period of a hormonal imbalance, it really altered that mood. I felt quite low energy. I felt like I couldn't really get up and go like like normal. It almost felt like, I mean, I wouldn't draw the conclusion that I had depression, but it almost felt like on that wavelength. And so I'm kind of curious um, what's going on when women are experiencing those sorts of moods because they are quite prolonged. It's not like a one to two day thing where you just bounce back and you're just, you know, having some emotional things going on. It's really like a couple month situation. Um, so what's going on with the hormones there and, and nothing is a quick fix, but what can people sort of start to do to investigate or pull themselves out of that type of situation yeah I mean there's a few things that spring to mind when we talk about this um you know our symptoms are very proportionate to stress and that is 
because our stress hormones and our sex hormones crave that balance. And when our sex hormones are heightened, and this is specifically cortisol and adrenaline, they pull rank. They come along to make everything, well, not better necessarily, but for survival. So what happens in this scenario is our sex hormones get pushed to the side, our sex hormones rank, cortisol pretty much shuts everything down um, in, ter- in terms of digestion, in terms of even our menstrual cycle, if it's depending on you know how, how severe that is. Um, and we're literally in a survival mode. Now that doesn't feel great because when you, you know, when you need to actually do the bare minimum but get the maximum outcome, that's all the body's thinking about. So the priority of how good you feel is out the window at this point in time. Um, yeah. I think it's important to point out that stress is not just being overwhelmed or busy or having bad news. Stress is what you know, what is your environment like? Uh, what what are the thoughts that you're thinking? Is your gut um, metabolizing things properly? Is your liver detoxifying? Are you moving your bowels? Um, it can be also, you know, an, an external scenario that's playing out. Um, it can be many things. It, it can also be that, you know, what also springs to mind when we talk about this is that if we've had a heightened stress, gut function also suffers and we make our uh, the majority of our um serotonin and dopamine in our gut which are the hormones that help us to feel good so we can start to understand that it's it's definitely portionate to stress it's just a matter of working out what that stress is and also at certain times in our lives we have better coping mechanisms and at other times we don't have great coping mechanisms when it comes to stress it's it's a very bizarre thing that we're not taught to navigate very well um, and that's why I think so many women find themselves in a scenario where they don't feel great. Um, we have been conditioned to behave like men when it comes to showing up every day and we've already established we're not the same every day. Men are. Men men are on a circadian rhythm, 24-hour body clock if you like, and they're literally, you know, sleep, work, eat, repeat, and that's fine because that's the Simple way that beans. they're designed. But we're, us as women are not. So... That's another layer to all of this, that we don't need to behave like men, that we are able to tap into our own body wisdom. But we're all humans and we're all trying to exist together. But when we start to really tap into this wisdom, that's when we really get the the main benefits. So I think that the reason that women really are experiencing so much of the, the hormone imbalances or so many of the hormone imbalances that we see probably comes back to that exact fact that we're trying to behave like something that we're not um and that's stressful and then that's a that's a perpetual cycle that's a hard cycle to break the stress cycle because again as we live as men we have been conditioned to believe that if you're not stressed then you won't be successful that you won't get a job done that you won't get the outcome that you desired and it couldn't again be further from the truth we have this innate superpower that we can work smarter and not harder and it doesn't mean that we need to actually go harder. It doesn't mean that we actually have to burn the candle at both ends. It doesn't mean that we can't still be productive. We have the superpower also of our cycle. And when we're on, we're on. And when we're off, we're off. And we need to learn when that is and, again, use that to our advantage. But if you look at the way that your cycle, the ebbs and flows of your cycle, you know, you can liken it to the seasons and that's a nice way to do it because I think it explains it perfectly is that, you know, you go through the winter phase, which is the period phase, and that's an inward phase. It's a hibernation. You're resting. You're recovering. Even if you don't have horrible periods, it's still a time of inwardness and rest. 
Um, and I know for me, I'm not creative in that. I'm a creative person, just like you. I love being out and I love being social, I love all of that. But in my that phase, I'll often think, oh, gosh, if only I could get such and such done. Having the awareness that I'm probably not going to gives me space to go, it'll be okay in a couple of days and I'll come out all guns blazing. Because as we move into the next phase, which is the pre-ovulation phase, which is like spring, it's a rebirth. It's the time for us to to start to create um, new tasks, to to set new tasks and start to create things, I should say. Um, And then as we move into the ovulation phase, we get this burst of testosterone. Our hormones are at their peak. We feel amazing. This is when we should be executing these tasks and getting it done and being social and meeting the world and going out there and and loving ourselves. And then as we come back in the other side of that post-ovulation in the luteal phase, we generally feel pretty good for most. We should feel good for most of that before we come into that pre-menstrual phase where we're heading back into that downward time again. So if we know that about ourselves, we can A, understand how to perform according to our cycles. B, we can give ourselves a little bit of slack when it comes to those days where you're just not bringing it and you can't figure out why. Um, but it also means that if you did have to do things on those days where, you know, you, you know that it's not your best, then you can actually do things so you still perform on those days. And it, it's actually called doing the bare minimum and just doing whatever needs to be done to get those tasks done. That's not the day that you can do all the things that you would usually do. Yeah, I think that's such a really beautiful way to talk about the cycle I've never actually heard it spoken about like that in terms of the seasons Um, and I have in the last couple months been I guess keeping a log of how I feel because I'm exactly the same I notice that at some points in the month I'm very very creative and others I'm not or some points in the month like my weight training is like at an all-time high and then two weeks later I won't even be able to pick up half the weight and so I have been keeping track of that but looking at it in terms of the cycles I think is a really beautiful way to I guess, um, mirror, I suppose, how you should be feeling in that time to give you like a little bit of an indication or I guess a metric. And I think it also serves really nicely to say, hey, you know, if you look at like, say, a man's biological energy and the way that they're supposed to perform, it's quite consistent by comparison. So when you do have those days, exactly like you said, where you're just not bringing it, you have that compassion because you understand that your body's actually, you know, going through a whole hibernation phase and cleansing phase and that's like a pretty good reason for you to have like dipped energy. So I think just having mm-hmm. that awareness and, and thinking about it in terms of the seasons is a really, really nice way to do it. Um, but on that note, one thing I have picked up that I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on if this is a thing, if I'm onto something or not. I find when I drink alcohol, either just it's, it's mainly just before my period, it just does not sit well with me. Like I could have one drink and I actually get like pain it's almost like my body is like immediately rejecting it whereas if I had like a drink and I'm not really a big drinker I'm talking I have maybe one or two drinks every couple weeks um but I find when I have it just before my period it's like my body is like a big red x like no we don't want this in our body is that anything biological is there any science behind that or is that just a psychological thing I'm going through no it could be a few things um I think the first thing that springs to mind is you know progesterone really should actually be um through the luteal phase, you know, building and reaches a peak and then drops off when we get our period. It's often, and, and sorry, I should say progesterone is very calming. It's a natural diuretic. It, it, um, we need all hormones, um, but when progesterone is low, we can really feel that. And one of the, the um, symptoms we often see, especially close to the period time, um, 
can be symptoms associated and that can be different for everybody but I think the timing of that particularly speaks to what's actually going on not the actual symptom itself so a lot of women for example will um, talk about night sweats the night or two before their periods due or maybe they're not sweating but they're hot they know they're hotter and again progesterone's tapering off a little bit too early like I said it's a calming hormone if there's not enough of it we don't feel quite right so the timing of our cycle also allows us to look at what the hormones should be doing um, and and that really helps us to piece together um, what is actually going on this there's a lot of moving parts like I said but it doesn't have to be difficult once you know these these parts and where your hormones should be at at that time and how you should be feeling at those times really does speak true mm. so with with lower progesterone at that point in time would you say that also would potentially mean like your recovery from a workout may not be as quick because yes, you just definitely. don't have that calming definitely. yeah okay because and that absolutely makes sense and I suppose why I would be a little bit more sensitive or intolerant to um to that I was just curious because it's something yeah, I've noticed and recently there's a lot of information about and, and there's a lot of athletes that invest in support with this about performance around the cycle um and understanding that and that's definitely a point where you know, if you did say, okay, for whatever reason, uh, say you were competing, I need to bring it on this day and I know my period's due tomorrow. You, this is when you do the bare minimum. You really nurture yourself. Now, for the most of us that aren't professional athletes, we can probably go a day or two without lifting something or working out at the gym. When you know this and you can work out where this looks and what this looks like and everybody's different. So typically most women will find in that pre um, period window and usually through the first sort of three or four or five days of their cycle is generally when we go slow it's when we're you know yin yoga pilates stretching walking those more gentle movements are more appropriate but knowing what we know and knowing what I know about myself I can tell you that day two of my cycle is one of my peak days of performance and I think that's just the that again just by the nature of we're all different, but I would definitely yeah. say in the lead up to the period is when I really feel the time that I really do need to nurture myself. I'm less creative, but once I have my period, generally I'm ready to go. I'm good to go. Um, I can't say that about everybody, but that's just after years of observation uh, as to what my body's doing and what it needs. So it is. I think it's really important that we track this information, that we have this information, and we don't just want it for ourselves. We actually want it for the next generation. Um, Again, I talk a lot about my mum, but she always talks about how my, my grandmother passed away when my mother was 30. And she's like, I've had I have so many questions for her that I would love to know about what her cycle did. How old was she when she went through menopause? What did her symptoms look like? What were her periods like? What was her period like after having children? What was her period like before she had children? Like, we don't think about this now because we're not at a point of needing to ask these questions. But this information becomes vital information for our children to utilise that because the the reality is that genetically, obviously, the bloodline, that runs strong. So often if we have um, issues as women, our mothers have had these same issues. Not always, but very often. If there's especially some type of um, predisposition, it's something that you want to know. So we don't just do this for us. We do this for the next generation as well. If we can have this information to pass on, I think it's extremely valuable. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting you say that because like my sister has um, PCOS and, and I don't. And when we were speaking to my mum about it, I mean, she's always been quite open with us about the menstrual cycle and whatnot, but my mum's going, oh, 
I think I probably have that too, but she's never really like looked into it because she's just from a different generation. And, you know, she's always been very fortunate with being fertile and whatnot. And so it wasn't something she considered, but my sister has like a very similar cycle to her. So I definitely see the value in having that open conversation. If I told you there was a device that not only tracked your sleep, exercise, and your menstrual cycle, but also gave you suggestions for how you should be training every day based off your performance in those areas, would you believe me? I'll spare you the suspense because Whoop have perfected this in their smartwatch. And since using it, I have become more confident understanding and learning from my body's intuitive signals. I love reviewing my sleep performance every morning and comparing it with the rest of my week to see how having one or two coffees later in the day or reading before bed changes my sleep quality. Yes, you can track all of these things and more like alcoholic drinks, whether you felt socially fulfilled that day, meditated, etc., to see what combination gives you the best quality of sleep. The best part for us women as well is it also factors in our menstrual cycle. You know how I have heaps of guests on that talk about training with your cycle? This literally takes the guesswork out of remembering which part of the month is better for what and will cue you and actually make suggestions every morning on what style is more appropriate. So on the first day of my cycle, it reminds me that based off where my hormones are at, resistance training is more appropriate. And what's crazy is it always reflects exactly how I'm feeling. It's been game changing for my balance because it honors that every day is different and reminds me that I intuitively know these things, but teaches me how to listen to them. If you want to try it out for yourself, click the link in the show notes and get your first month free. Now let's get back to the episode. Um, just back to what you were saying about like tracking the period. It's it's something I've only recently gotten into. I've actually gotten, um, you know, like one of those smartwatches. I have a Whoop, which a feature of it is you can actually pop in like when you get your period and it will like, I, I think it is averaged out on like a 28 day cycle. So if you have longer or shorter periods, you might need to see if it has that function. But what it actually does, which I love is at different parts, so like early luteal, late luteal, early follicular, etc. it'll tell you, okay, you've got, you should have more energy on this day. Hit training is great for today, or you should, you should perform well in resistance training, or you should pull back and do something more gentle. So that's been a great way for me to just associate and be aware, okay, at this point in the month, and then I just, you know, I don't take that as Bible, but I think, okay, does that align with how I'm feeling right now? So if you're going to use a smartwatch or do the research, like you said, even having a look at how athletes track that for their peak performance, use it as just like a little bit of a ruler to be like, okay, it's, does this align with how I'm feeling? And then just use that for self-awareness. But something like that is a really good place to start, I guess, if you're interested in tracking. Um I did want to ask you a little bit as well about fertility and something you speak about a lot, which is new to me and, and something I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on is why being fertile uh, means more for our overall health, more than just, you know, being, being able to fall pregnant. So I guess what are your thoughts on the importance of fertility on our general health? Absolutely. I mean, to me, fertility um, is not about being pregnant. It's the potential to be, but it's far more about um, a state of being than it is an outcome, um, and and with that comes, you know, when we are in when we are fertile, we are generally we have a, a sense of overall, or we have not a sense, we actually are um, experiencing overall health and reproduct. And if you understand the intricacies of your reproductive organs, you will then definitely know that it's you know when you when you're actually in that state of being, you you've kind of got things working in your favour. Um, so fertility is not about babies. It's about having a thriving reproductive system that when the time is right, or if the time is right, um, that you are able to conceive, but not everybody wants that. And that's okay as well. It doesn't mean that 
you um, are a walking baby machine either. It just means that you have um, great reproductive health. And I think that's really important. And it's not something that we talk about until the point of wanting to have children, which for a lot of women is a big mistake because they can spend their whole life trying to not fall pregnant only to discover that it's not as easy as they thought it was because there are other um, other factors at, at, at play. So I think really exploring fertility and being very aware of what that means and looking at your cycles and your hormones um, is really important for that. And, you know, when I say fertility is also a state of being, I spend, you know, I used to spend a lot of time um, really dialed in on helping women to understand the interest, intricacies of their cycles and their bodies and their hormones and their reproductive and all of this. And for a lot of women, it's stressful. <laughs> it's really stressful. It's like actually too much. So, mm. you know, it's also like accounting just about, for you. It's a well, sorry. It's like accounting for you. Right? Exactly. So it's like, how can we actually have this wisdom from a young age? So it's not overwhelming. It's not stressful. Mm. It's not this like race to the finish line. It's just part of who we are. And I get, you know, mothers will push back and say, well, I don't want my 16-year-old falling pregnant. She needs to be on birth control. Um, and I'll say, well, the biggest gift that we can give any woman is to help her understand her fertility, help her understand her cycle. I've been practicing fertility awareness, which is understanding when I'm fertile and when I'm not for 20 years. I have two children. They were conceived the months that we tried. We haven't had any whoopsie accidents because I'm at the other side where I'm like, how can you not know this? Like once you know it, you can't not know it. It's very obvious. Um, and so, you know, I'm not advocating for teenage pregnancies by any means. I'm advocating for wisdom um, and, and, you know, body literacy and allowing women to actually explore and, and understand what their body's telling them each and every month and utilising that information so that when you're in your fertile phase, you either avoid sex or you protect, you use protection. Um, one thing I really do want to raise, and I don't think a lot of people recognise this, is that as a teenager, the age that you go on birth control, so say you're 16, um, it's really important to understand that your sex hormones don't mature until around the age of 21. And a lot of women are put on birth control in their mid-teens to treat a problem, not necessarily for contraception. Um, and it is contraception is one thing, but treating an imbalance is another and, and often not the solution long-term. Um, but you are as mature as that 16-year-old self when you come off the pill. So say you're 26 when you come off, but you started when you were 26. You're as mature you know, your sex hormones, I should say, are as mature as your 16-year-old self. So for a lot of women, it can take four or five years for things to actually sort of balance out post-pill because they never had the ability to mature. And so I really, and, and the research also does show that the, the later in life you do take utilize birth control, the less it seems to disrupt your hormones. So, you know, Again, I'm not saying don't use it. I'm saying have this information, understand, look at the family history. Is there issues with fertility? Is there issues with hormone imbalances? Um, look at the side effects Look at and work out, is this the best decision for me right now? And then if that is the best decision, then what can you do to support your body as well so that when you transition off, you're not left like a lot of women are, discovering that their fertility is being compromised. And that's, you know, you'll get mixed ideas and mixed um, conversations around that. 
I don't see, I don't treat the women that are fist pumping their hair going, I'm living my best life and I'm so fertile and, um, you know, I came straight off the pill and felt pregnant. They're not my patients. So I guess Mm. my viewpoint can be a little bit tainted, but I have still seen thousands and thousands of women who um, talk to the fact that, you know, they didn't know this information, they wish they had have known, they would have been able to make a better decision and they probably would have been able to do something about their fertility long term had they have known. So, you know, I think there's a bit of a collective responsibility when it comes to this, but it starts with having an awareness um, of what that means and it also starts with us talking about fertility from the age that children start to ask the question. So it's this organic conversation that happens over many, many years and it's not this taboo subject that we sort of push under the carpet and not talk about. It it is reality. It is part of us, you know, so it is important to have the conversations that surround that to allow us to understand it better as well. Absolutely. And I'm really glad you brought up the pill topic because I was actually, you know, I can identify with that. I I went on it when I was uh, 18 because I was going through a really stressful time. I'd always had regular periods and then out of nowhere, my periods just started to get really spaced out or I'd skip it. So I thought, great, I'll just go on the pill that will fix it. Um, And I was on it for a few years. And now looking back, I definitely was not informed of the fact that it basically pressed pause to my ovulation cycle. And I've had a lot of naturopaths on the show who also talk to this point. And I think it's just so important not to uh, discourage people to go on the pill, but just to make an informed decision, exactly like you said. So as long as you're, you have that awareness and you know what options are available to you, that's all you need to make your decision. It's not to um, you know discredit one method over another, but I am in that category of had I known that at the time and actually I only ended up coming off it because I just felt like intuitively it wasn't right for me I'd like and I can't explain it any other way I just felt like it was a synthetic way to get my period and something just told me to go off it only after about a couple of years so I'm grateful for having listened to my body at that point in time but I do feel like it should have been the role of the you know the GP that put me on it at the time to actually let me know that that's what was happening and I think if a lot more women knew that like you said they probably would do a bit more research or explore things out a little bit further. So um, yeah, there's two great, there's two great books that spring to mind. The pill, which is quite an old book, but it's still relevant um, research. And another book that's relatively new called your brain on birth control. Um, And you have to have, once you read them, it all makes sense because, you know, it alters the way that our body works. Therefore it alters the chemical instructions within our body. It alters how we feel. It alters how we think. It alters how we behave, it alters how we act. And that's not necessarily, um, yeah, that's just what it does. So it's, it's again, it's, it has a lot to be spoken for. I think these conversations really need to be had. And women can feel quite confronted about that because they're feeling like that was their only option that was presented to them. And like yeah. you said, we're not here to say don't take it, but is it the best option? Or I say to patients all the time, utilize it to create some space if you've got horrible periods every month then great there's there's a a very short-term solution that you can utilize and then we look at why do you have very heavy periods and then we treat you whilst you're on the pill and then you get to transition off and you know that's a that's a solution as far as I'm concerned um that has an end point but often we're prescribed things we have implants like IUDs or even breast implants to a degree there's no discussion of an exit strategy. Uh, you know, we need to be thinking about these things. And so I think it's no different to using a medication 
we're often told that there are life it's, it's lifelong and you know what it is lifelong if you don't do something different but when you start yes. to do something different then it doesn't necessarily need to be lifelong because you've created a different internal environment where hopefully you don't need to utilize that anymore now there is scenarios where women do need or people do need to utilize various medications for various reasons and it is case by case but we're often seeing it for what it is in that moment. We're not thinking about yes. changes that we can make to improve our health. And there's there's literally, I'm still met with someone that we can't get their health to a point where it's improved enough to have those conversations with their prescribing doctor to either ask for us to reduce medications or to cease medications. You always want to be on the lowest to no dose with no symptoms of anything. That's an aim for me as a practitioner that I will have those conversations with my patients um, prescribing doctors as well so that it's a community of people that are working together with the one outcome and that's where we can have really nice outcomes and do things safely as well as effectively yeah I love your mission and I love the way you approach things so I'm, I'm really glad you're on the podcast sharing all of that today um, before I let you go I did want to ask a listener question so I put up a little question box in our story and we had a couple come through I thought this one was really interesting not one I've asked on a podcast before so the question was do you have any tips or insight into how to balance hormones directly after pregnancy well that's a good one um Again, it speaks to what the imbalance might have been before. So often we're told pregnancy is a solution. We're often told, I'll just get pregnant and everything will be better. Now, sometimes that's true and sometimes that's not. And the reality is, I, I didn't say this before, but we typically have um, hormone imbalances, I kind of alluded to this, are genetic. Um, but that doesn't mean they have to be turned on as such. Again, you alluded, alluded to that with the PCOS scenario. Uh, our environment does that, our, our external environment, internal environment, our nutrition, our lifestyle, our thoughts. There's so many factors that feed into turn on and off certain things to present within our bodies. So firstly, what was the imbalance before if there was or wasn't one? If it hasn't been addressed, it's going to be there afterwards. Um, no. And then we need to look at the symptoms that we might be experiencing. So a lot of women will find that their period doesn't return. Some will say it's come back with a vengeance and it's really heavy. And I'm, some will say I'm so moody that, you know, I have ovulation pain all of a sudden. Again, your symptoms are speaking to you. So very um, difficult for me to say, oh, this is exactly what happens. Yeah. You do go through some hormone shifts. You go through some, having some really high level, amazing hormones that, you feel fabulous that come down and definitely by around six months postpartum, a lot of women are really wondering what the hell they've done. Um, I will say this, on my website, there is a worksheet, just a hormone worksheet, and it helps you to profile your symptoms to work out what your hormone imbalance might be. Um, because it, again, because it's so wide and varied, it looks at the most common five hormone imbalances that I see in clinic. And I'd encourage you to go and check that out and, and profile your symptoms and then it'll direct you into what the possible imbalance is and allow you to explore that further. So is it excess estrogen? Is it uh, estrogen deficiency? Is it excess testosterone? Um, is it high cortisol? Is it low progesterone? They're the common things that we see. So you, again, it teaches you or it's one step closer in helping you profile your symptoms so that you can get curious as to what the next step will be based on what your body's telling you. No, that's awesome. That sounds like a great resource. I'll actually put a link in the show notes below. Um, but on that note, and I suppose um, 
like you said, like that's a great way to give you a bit of an indication as to what might be going on should it fall in one of the top five. But on a general level, like not just say after uh, pregnancy, even like before, if anyone is curious about their hormone profile, what's the best way that can actually test that so we avoid self-diagnosing too? Yeah, it's a bit of a slippery slope, the old self-diagnosis. The first step is becoming (laughs) curious, I think, and that's spot on there. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I would always, um, personally, I actually, when I sit with patients, I get the most curious about their symptoms before doing any testing. Uh, testing is fabulous, but also it has to be done by the right person on the right day at the right time, mm-hmm. um, especially because we're cyclic beings. So a Dutch test is a fabulous, it's a dry urine test. It's very accurate to help women, um, test their hormones. It typically needs to be done on cycle day 21 because that's when we, um, should see and be able to profile all home hormones, including progesterone. We only make progesterone once we've ovulated, so no point testing it beforehand, which is a pet hate, and I see it happen all the time. Um, so day 21, um, and that is a really, the, the dry urine, it's a sample taken five times over a day, so you get a really accurate um, result when it comes to what your hormones are doing and how they're being utilised within your body. And then it's also having the right person to interpret that for you. But it does come mm-hmm. with a fairly detailed report and you can generally find practitioners that are able to um, to uh, request that to be tested. I don't underestimate the good old blood test either. I know a lot of people will say it's not, ac- not as accurate and you're probably right, it's probably not as accurate. But it's often a great starting point for us to get curious and really look at, you know, what's your thyroid doing? Where are your sex hormones sitting? Um, what's your cortisol doing? Even things like vitamin D and iron are very important, especially if there's heavy bleeding um, and we're talking about iron. So getting somebody to even just start as a, a, at a blood test isn't a bad place to start. But like I said, it's getting it done on the right day at the right time mm. with the right provider to read the test for you. And the other thing that I'll say and I see a lot is doctors won't run tests and it's not because they can't, it's probably because it's not their area of expertise. So if you're going to your GP and asking for a hormone test and they don't really know how to read them because it's not their area of expertise, you'll often get told that it's unnecessary. So we might want to go to our gynecologist or someone who specialises in hormones so that we can actually get the tests read properly to help us be able to move forward. Um, It's a matter of also having the right people to ask um, for that support. So, you know, Again, many moving parts, but hopefully that helps a little bit when it comes to where to start and what to do and what to ask for when you are um, wanting to start down the road of some testing to see what uh, potential imbalances might exist. Yeah, no, I think some really great tips there, especially on when to get tested. Um, That's not something that's been like in a conscious mind of mind beforehand, but it makes absolute sense. Like get tested on the day where all your hormones are showing up so you can get the most accurate response. So day 21 for everybody listening. Or if you don't Um, have a regular cycle, sorry to cut you off, but if you don't have a regular cycle, you can just do it. um, Or say you don't even have a cycle, you could do it at any time at all. Um, The the reason it's done on day 21 is it's, on average, seven days prior, seven days post ovulation, seven days prior to the period. So, if you are tracking ovulation at least, but it is a bit later in the cycle, then do it seven days after ovulation. Okay, great tip. Um, and the other thing I really love that you said was, you know, if you have a hormonal issue or you're curious about your hormones, make sure you are speaking to someone who's a an expert in that because exactly what you said. I got a blood test last year. GP said everything was fine. Showed it to my naturopath because I felt like everything was not fine. You know, and she had some different thoughts on that. So definitely speak to someone who 
is working totally. in that space. And also I think the hard part there is you never just want to be normal, you want to be optimal. And what that's what your um often the your alternative providers looking at is how do I optimize you? Okay, you've got the all clear. There's nothing wrong as such, but you don't feel right. Now we actually get to go and do the the you know the good stuff where we get you to be optimal, not just average. No one wants to no yeah. one feels good feeling average. So, you know, <laughs> We want to get you to be, be feeling optimal and that's that's uh, the next step. Yeah, and I can see your eyes and your face lighting up just saying that so I can tell how passionate you are about helping people get to that stage, which is really refreshing and lovely to hear. Um, I just want to thank you so much firstly for your time. I know you're a, a very busy lady, so I really, really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing all of your knowledge, expertise and journey um, I've learned a lot, even though this is something I'm really interested in talk about all the time. So um, I'm really grateful that you firstly come on to share all that with everybody. And um, secondly, if you wouldn't mind just sharing, if people want to follow along your journey, I know you've already mentioned your website, which I'll pop a link to, but otherwise, if they want to connect with you or see what's happening day to day, where's the best place they can do so? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, if you are sitting here and you're like, oh my gosh, I really want to work this out, but I'm really not sure where to start. Like I said, the hormone worksheets start there. If you've got questions, please also um, on my website, natcreamgoodis.com, the search bar use that because there's like years and years and years worth of information on there that often answers people's questions um, or at least gets them to be pointed in the next direction. And then finally, what I will say is um, I hang out a lot on Instagram. I love nothing more than interacting over there. I love chatting over there. I love sharing over there. I'm always trying to come up with things to help people understand or just you know another little aha moment another little aha moment um so please um absolutely would love to see you over there it's just nat quingudis again everything's nat quingudis because that's my name so <laughs> <laughs> and there's that there is some great content there i mean your reels are pretty pretty top notch so definitely recommend everyone go give nat a follow um i'll pop links to all of that below but again thank you so much for your time and i look forward to continuing to learn from you from afar Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.